You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. If you've been listening and reading closely these past few weeks, as we worked our way through the end of the Gospel of Matthew, you may have experienced this building tension that the Jewish authorities have obviously been feeling as Jesus has been preaching. He's preaching about kings and kingdoms and giving authority and taking authority. And they sensed an increased political flavor to his preaching. And it brought with it sort of stress and anxiety for them, but also this opportunity to trap him in his words and perhaps get rid of him. However, he's been speaking in parables, so the language isn't quite clear enough to pin him down. So they need him to speak plainly. And because of this, Jesus has somehow driven together the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they're teaming up to try and trap him in his words and get him to profess some political treason so that they can get rid of him. Now, it's interesting, the Herodians hate him because this, uh, they're siding with Rome. They've got their petty king, Herod, whose authority is derived from Rome's authority. And then the Pharisees hate him because he seems to them to be sort of undermining the law and so undermining the structure of their authority. So they've joined together to try and take him down even though they fall on the sort of opposite sides of the spectrum. Many of you who have been paying attention to this might also think today, as you look at this gospel before you came here, like, oh no, Father's going to use this as an opportunity to preach about politics. And that, brothers and sisters, is exactly what I'm going to do. (laughs) But before you get all polarized and alienated or get up and leave, I... I don't want to talk about the sort of petty politics of our day. I don't think that's helpful right now. Uh, we're sort of overwhelmed with that already. But I do want to try to get to the foundation of things. How are we as Christians supposed to exist within the state? Uh, how does our mission as the church, which is the salvation of souls uh, and the building up of the kingdom of God, how does that coincide or conflict with the secular political world. Begin with a quote from, it's an ancient letter. It's written by a pagan who I'm sure is sort of in the process of becoming a Christian, but he's describing Christians and he speaks of their political life. He says this, they live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. I think that's a beautiful description of the Christian reality. Another is when Israel is sent into exile. They're in Babylon, and the Lord is speaking to them through Jeremiah. Like, how do you exist as Israel under a foreign power. And he says this, 
He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray for the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It's true that we as Christians are to love our city, our state, our country. Uh, we, can, we can do that. We're actually called to do that. Thomas Aquinas talks about how the state actually has an authority over our body, uh, which is why we can fight in the military, because we can die for our country. Uh, that's, that's something that's legitimate, which is not necessarily the case uh, in many religions. So we can love our country. It doesn't have an authority over our soul, but it does over our body. However, we're also simultaneously to live as aliens or pilgrims, sort of just passing through. And what does that mean? Well, I think there's two things that it's suggesting. The first is, because, because we have this sort of different approach, we, we love the place where we live, but we're not attached to it in the sense that our eternal life, our eternal good isn't based in it. We can actually critique it honestly. We can sort of see it from an unbiased perspective. We can correct fundamental principles with the understanding that just because something isn't perfect doesn't mean that it's evil. It means that it's fallen because it's ruled by fallen people and it's full of fallen people. Uh, so, it's, so we can sort of approach it with a new vision. The second, and I think uh, more important principle for us to always remember, especially today, and I think this is deeply present in our gospel, uh, is the understanding that the secular state will never be perfect, not even close, uh, nor will it ever truly ally itself with the interests of God. It never has, and it never will. Uh, Jesus talks about his kingdom not being of this world. So we're in an interesting place as Christians. For we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And sometimes we're, we're tempted always to take one of two sides. One would be to just ally ourselves with the culture. It'd be so much easier to not always be resisting the movements of the world. Many churches have chosen to do that today. They've chosen to just be sort of machines of our culture. Uh, and so they basically become political interest groups. Uh, and, then they, and then they empty out and they die. Because that's not what the gospel's about. The opposite direction is always a temptation as well, which is to just circle the wagons, hunker down, wait for the world to burn itself to the ground, and then come out afterwards and rebuild it. Uh, that's always a temptation of Christians as well, to just isolate and wait it out, to let, let the culture do its thing. That's also wrong. The church has always been right in the fray, speaking the word of God into the confusion of our time. We've been doing it for 2,000 years, and we'll continue to do it for the next 2,000. Not to change the system, but to change hearts. Because we know that that's the only true and lasting change. It's the changing of hearts from the bottom up. So what does Jesus say today? Whose image is on this inscription? 
And they point out Caesar's. Then render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to Caesar? What belongs to the state? Well, the things of this world belong to the state. So if we put our hope in worldly things, then we'll end up putting our hope in the state. And then every new failure, which failure is inevitable because every state fails, will bring with it bitterness and resentment and anger. So what belongs to God? Well, I think Jesus is pointing us all the way back to the beginning in this. To the sixth day when God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man and woman, he created them. So the things of the world belong to those who rule the world. We're in the image of God, and so we belong to him. If we put our trust in God, we have the freedom of the sons and daughters of God. The freedom to work in the world without being attached to the world without our happiness being dependent on the ways of the world, the volatile sort of movements of culture. I think that's a huge grace. So we move forward trusting in God, in whose image we are made. And we work hard that we might build up the kingdom of God in this world. But we don't stake our happiness on it because our happiness can only be found in God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Kirby Longo's homilies. To support the work of Mountain Catholic, please visit paypal.me slash mtncatholic.